hello, and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. It's December 8th. I'm your host, Gabriela Silva-Ponte. Today, we'll be covering stories from CIBC's finds, to the Kumba 2024 Festival at Harborfront Centre, to a Lyft Award recipient. But, as always, let's first take a look at today's top news, as reported by Sharanki Kalantharasa. It is Friday, December 8th, and I'm your host, Sharanki Kalantharasa, reporting for Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. And here are our top stories from today. The RCMP is under investigation after a missing woman's dead body was found one kilometer away from where she was missing. CIBC is fined $1.3 million for failing to comply with rules and regulations. A woman who threw a Chipotle bowl at an employee is sentenced to a fast food job. And then we will hear Samina Sultana with their segment, Turn the Page. So let's get into it. For the first headline, the RCMP is under investigation after a missing woman's dead body was found a kilometer away from where she was last seen. According to CBC News, British Columbia's Police Oversight Agency is determining whether police action or inaction is what led to this. The details of the missing woman's body matches that of Chelsea Kwa, Huron, 29, who was reported missing on October 11th after leaving her home in Sekuts. In a recent news report by CBC News, it was stated that Kwa's family feared that the case would not be given as much importance due to them being Indigenous. The police said that they conducted a full-scale investigation, but nothing could be found. However, a month later, RCMP announced that Kwa's body was found in a wooden area of the same community. The Independent Investigations Office is currently conducting investigations regarding police involvement of the case. In fact, there are concerns that the police, quote, played a role in serious harm or death, either through direct or indirect or, or through direct or failure to reasonably act in a way that could have prevented harm. Pam Huron told CBC News that she had worried that her daughter was stereotyped as an indigenous girl who was troubled and therefore the case was not taken seriously by police. Just two days later, her body was found. 
For the second headline, CIBC is fined $1.3 million for failing to comply with rules and regulations. Canada's Financial Intelligence Agency imposed a $1.3 million fine on CIBC for not complying with terrorist financing and money laundering measures, according to BNN Bloomberg. It was reported on Thursday, just two days after RBC's $7.4 million fine was announced. FinTrack, the financial intelligence agency that levied the fine, said this was due to CIBC failing to submit a transaction report that seemed suspicious of money laundering activity. In fact, there were many instances where money transfer information was incomplete. According to BNN Bloomberg, CIBC spokesperson Tom Wallace said that the bank has robust anti-money laundering and anti-terrorist financing procedures. In fact, the proceedings have ended as CIBC has allegedly paid the penalty in full according to Fintracht. For the third and final headline, an Ohio woman who threw a Chipotle bowl at an employee has been sentenced to a month in jail and must work in fast food for two months. 39-year-old Rosemary Hain was caught on camera throwing a Chipotle bowl at the face of Emily Russell, a Chipotle worker, on September 5th of 2023. Upon Hain pleading guilty at court, the judge gave her two options. Number one was to spend 30 days in jail and the remainder working for a fast food chain. Or number two was spend the 60 days at a fast food restaurant. Russell quit her job at Chipotle, though due to, quote, a lack of support from the team. According to People.com, Russell said she was relieved regarding Hain's sentencing, but also said that Hain should be lucky for working 20 hours a week. According to Russell, she had worked up to 65 hours a week at Chipotle. According to People.com, a statement was released to them by Lori Shallow, the chief corporate affairs officer for Chipotle, and she said, Quote, the health and safety of our employees is our greatest priority and we're pleased to see justice served for any individual that does not treat our team members with the respect they deserve. Well, that was it from me today. And now we'll take a quick look at the weather. Today is a relatively partly cloudy day with temperatures going up to 7 degrees Celsius. Precipitation rates are at 10%, humidity rates at 83%, and winds up to 21 kilometers per hour. However, tomorrow we will be getting slight showers, but the temperature will be going up by 2 degrees to 9 degrees Celsius. So dress accordingly to the weather. It is Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Sharanki Kalantharasa. Thanks for listening. Again, that was Sharanki Kalantharasa. Thanks, Sharanki.
Meanwhile, Harborfront Center is already announcing its Kumba 2024 events. The festival is scheduled to take place in February during Black History Month. I spoke with associate producer Aranola Oloaporoku about the Harborfront Center and the events it hosts. Um, Harborfront Center is a recreational, educational, and cultural institution that has been around for 50 years in 2024 that offers free public, mostly free public programming to and caters to multiple communities. Events you might see happening at Harborfront Center. During this summer, we have um, a few summer festivals such as Island Soul, um, July 1 long weekend, also called Canada Day, um, Hot and Spicy, which occurs every two years, um, Tirgan, Ashkenaz, Taiwan Fest, and we also have some festivals that go in and out, but our three main festivals for the summer are Island Soul, July 1 long weekend, and Hot and Spicy. And then during the winter, we have some winter festivals as well. So Kumba, like you mentioned, we have some unique festivals and special projects that go in and out. Um, and we don't offer, they're not staple festivals. We don't offer them every year, such as Brave. Um, we also have a performing arts department that focuses on all things performance and dance. Front Center is um, a great place for people to go and learn, um, discover new artists, new forms of arts, um, get inspiration, um, motivation. Um, yeah, there's many different um, reasons to come to Front Center. And we also cater to multiple demographics at a time. So there will always be something for everyone. She also went into detail about Kuma 2024. Kumba is Harborfront Center's Black History and Black Futures Month Festival. It's been around for 29 years in 2024. We offer public programming that integrates um, multidisciplinary arts such as music, comedy, film, dance, um, and workshops um, for, by Black creatives um, that caters to the Black diaspora. Yeah, and um, through historical narratives, um, Kumba celebrates Black cultural programming and the limited, limitless potential um, of the future of Black art. So the theme for Kumba 2024 is voice. And it's a call to attention on multiple iterations of how we use our voice, um, how we are heard, to whom we speak, and how um, the, the, the functions of our voice has changed and morphed. And more to that, um, we came up with Raise the Voice, um, which was adapted from the popular Raise the Roof, which is, it indicates joyful exhilaration and celebration of Black creativity um, and Black art. Some of the programming that you can expect to see at Kumba 2024 uh, live performances, such as Julie Black in concert. We have um, a poetry exploration by Anne-Marie Woods. It's called Why Black Women Whisper. Um, for more information on all Kumba programming, before I carry on, just visit harborfrontcenter.com. Um, our opening night, we have a keynote speech by 
an award-winning um, author and New York Times best-selling author called Angie Thomas. Um, she wrote the book, you, The Hate You Give, uh, which was also adapted to a film that will also be screening during Kumba. Um, an example of atypical programming that we have is Rock Harder, In A Voice Out Loud. It's a breaking competition. As we know, breaking is developing as a, as a sport um, and a dance. They're going to be at the Olympics next year. They just qualified at Pan Am Games and we're going to be offering workshops for anybody who wants to get into breaking. And she discussed the importance this festival holds for both Black and non-Black communities in Toronto. Events like this are important for the Black Canadian community because we have to hear from Black artists to avoid a, a vacuum. I think when we neglect stories or we only um, speak to one perspective, um, where we we fall into the trap of the single story. Um, we end up losing stories, cultures, relevance, um, importance, and ultimately we lose a part of human civilization. So um, the importance of having this type of programming every year and all year round, as Diana said, is to speak to where the culture is at and what is on the mind of the people at large. It's important for non-Black Canadians to not just attend and experience this sort of event. So they're, so they're not looking at Black creatives or BIPOC creatives as the other. So they know that we all share the same human experience and you can always relate. Um, nobody is really different from the other. We're all on earth together, one system, and really like one human race. Alongside her on the call was Manager of Cultural Engagement, Diana Webley. She discussed Kuma 365, which is said to begin after the Black History Month Festival. Absolutely. So Kuma 365 was really born out of the Kuma Festival. And what that is, is we want to celebrate Black culture all year round. And the mediums that we're going to be using to express this is in partnership with the Power Plant Contemporary Art Gallery, where artists will be responding to the fall exhibitions that they have in the Power Plant Gallery. And for the inaugural Kumba 365, what we're doing is looking at the genre of spoken word. So literally, uh, literary arts. and so. This ties in very well with the Kumba Festival because it's looking at voice and voice is so important and raising your voice is so important. So what better way to kick it off than to have spoken word artists be a part of this? So we've commissioned the Spoken Soul Collective, which comprises of Dwayne Morgan, Randall Ajay, who's also a poet laureate, and also Paulina O'Keefe Anthony. All of them in their own rights are amazing spoken word artists and have many accolades and awards. So we invited them to the Power Plant Gallery opening. This was the first time that they were going to see the exhibition. So they were able to walk around here through the curator's uh, tour all about each exhibition. And so the takeaway is that whatever piece moves them the most and inspires them to respond the most is what they selected 
to respond to. So really through the black lens, we are seeing how they're responding to the art. It's an amazing journey that we'll, we're on right now because we also get to see, the public will get to see the behind the scenes of how this works. And so we will have each of these artists uh, record their piece in front of the art. It's a roughly 10 minutes each. And I know that's a lot. They're going to be memorizing that. And as they are uh, doing their live piece, we're recording it so that it can be digitized so that it could be a lifelong legacy that we have. And the hope is that the alumni for Kumba 365 lives on and we grow it. So, you know, uh, we couldn't do this without the Power Plant Art Gallery, as well as uh, TD Ready Commitment. And this is just investing in the Black Canadian uh, artists that we have. So this year we're starting with the genre of spoken word. And next year we're going to be launching uh, the three new artists and we're focusing on the genre of dance. So we're gonna keep doing this with focuses on new genres to keep Kumba 365 alive because what we found is that when we did a um, consultation with the community is that what they want to see is the investment of black culture year round, not just for Black Futures Month. And so we're able to amplify their voices in that way through this medium. Finally, the Liaison of Independent Filmmakers of Toronto has officially announced its 2022 Josephine Massarella Artist Award recipient. According to the media release sent to Met Radio 1280 AM, Marnie Perel is a Métis filmmaker, writer, and artist. She began making films back in 1988. I spoke with Lyft Executive Director Chris Kennedy about the organization. Yeah, so Lyft is a uh, artist-run charitable production access center, which means that we're here for independent filmmakers to get resources to make work, whether that's through workshops that we offer, through professional creative development, through uh, equipment for uh, films that they are going to make, um, for facilities. Uh, we we support their kind of a range of, of filmmaking in Toronto uh, in the independent sphere. And so that means um, Artist films means uh, small documentaries, uh, short uh, films, and experimental work. Um, and we've been around for 42 years. We were founded in 1981. He explained the award and why it came slightly later than usual. Yeah, so the Josephine Massarella Artist Award is uh, named in honor of a member uh, who passed away in 2018, Josephine Massarella. Uh, she was a filmmaker who um, worked with Lyft uh, at two points in her um, career. Early on when she was younger, uh, when she was just out of um, school, she made a few films using our resources, um, uh, and they were beautiful um, films. And then uh, she stepped away from uh, art making to the family and when she came back she came back in about 2015 uh she came back to lift and uh made about three or four uh amazing films um it was a real important part of the community as she was the first time around and then unfortunately she passed away um 
in uh, June of 2018. And so uh, we thought it would be good to honor um, her uh, with the support of her family um, uh, by doing this artist award. So it's directed uh, at um, female female identifying artists, 50 years and older, who had to step away from their artistic practice for a long absence and need support to get back into the game, to get back into research and creation of a new work. Um, so uh, it's it's a nice uh, nice way to kind of honor Josephine's um, uh, um, history by by searching for other filmmakers that we can also support in a similar way. Well, yeah, so the first recipient was in 2019, so that was Larissa Fan, and she, um, uh, it was shortly shortly after Josephine's passing, you know, about a six-month turnaround, we were able to support that, but then uh, uh, we were going to continue to do this for a three-year period, um, uh, where we had guaranteed funding for the three years, um, but of course the pandemic hit, and so in 2020, uh, in 21, we didn't quite get back into it um, because we were dealing with uh, uh, other things. And so in 2022, we put a call out. And um, again, just as we uh, we all expected, but hope, hopefully it's not going to be the case. The pandemic kept us slow for an extra year. And so um, uh, so we weren't able to kind of announce Marty until this year, um, even though uh, most of that process had happened uh in 2022, so she'll be uh, working with, um, next uh, at the start of next year, making making her work, and hopefully we'll be able to finish within within the year. So, um, uh, so yeah, that's that's the uh, the delay is the delay that everyone has faced over the past three or four years, so uh, pandemic related. And Kennedy discussed what made Perel the perfect recipient for this award. Oh yeah, Marnie Perel. Um, she's uh, kind of been a fixture of the film community. Uh, for a while, uh, she started making films in 1988. Um, uh, she, her films were shown all over. Uh, you know, if you look at her bio, there's lists of both uh, artist galleries like the YYZ Art uh, Outlet. Um, there's film festivals like the Winnipeg Aboriginal Film Festival, Imagine Native. There's Cinematech Ontario, which was TIFF back in, uh, in the day. So she showed uh, a whole bunch and. Uh, um, as an IT filmmaker, she was also a big um, part of the early stages of uh, Imaginative uh, Film Festival and other emerging uh, Aboriginal film festivals uh, in the in the mid '90s. Um, uh, her films are kind of a hybrid experimental film. So they they work with narrative stories and documentaries, but also kind of works from a um, uh, artistic perspective. It's great and. And uh, even even an old camera called a Fisher Price Pixel Vision camera, which was um, uh, kind of a toy camera that she she made um, some pretty amazing films with. Um, so uh, so yeah, she's uh, um, she's had to step away for various reasons um, for a while, and then this was our chance. Uh, she put forth an application saying that she uh, she wanted to get back into it, and uh, this is our um, our chance to support her. Kennedy added, "What support Lyft will provide for Perel." So um, we give her access to equipment in our facilities um, free of charge. So we have a 6,000 square foot uh, facility with, um, we have cameras, we have uh, um, sound equipment, lighting equipment, and we also have um, editing facilities. We also, um, we support analog filmmaking as well. And I know that she's a super great filmmaker in the past. She might be doing some of that. So um, she will uh, be able to use 
our facilities can make work. So, you know, but basically at her convenience, um, she can come in and, and work on stuff uh, while she's uh, uh, over the course of the project. And so we'll give her that. Um, so, yes, so we'll, we, we're supporting her both through um, about $2,000 worth of in-kind equipment, and we're also supporting her with $2,000 in cash, which will go towards uh, the production costs uh, that um, she, she might encounter while she's making this work. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silva-Ponte. This episode was put together by myself and Sharanki Kalantharasa. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.